This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the RSNC. But Gold Trip is brave. 100 to go. A length and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Welcome everyone to Cracking the Codes. Uh, I'm Dan Malicki out at uh, Flemington. What a beautiful day. What a spectacular venue this is. Uh, I'm up in one of the, the calling boxes and it is a beautiful sight. A terrific race day and uh, a lot of winners ahead of us. Uh, joining me this morning as always on Cracking the Codes. It wouldn't be Cracking the Codes without Matt Stewart and Simone Fisher. It'd simply be either... Cracking that or the codes or cracking codes <laughs> that always be a little bit missing without uh, the three of us here. How are you guys? We're good. We're cracking a smile for two reasons. One, you're there and we're here and we feel a lot more comfortable <laughs> with that. And the other one is this weather about time. It is about time. I feel like something is missing though. Hi, Dan from afar. We got him on a Zoom link <laughs> and he's got his camera sideways. So he's side on and all he can see of us is hands. random hands crossing into the <laughs> there screen. We go. He's so this, it this now. will be a mighty this will be a mighty hour. No, it's all good. Um, <laughs> Dan, um, yeah, just set the scene for us out there at Flemington. Back at Flemington for the first time since Champions Day and uh, a really good race meeting and and just as as we said, I think it's gonna be in the mid what is it gonna be, mid twenties today? It was 20 degrees, yeah, driving out here. So uh, it is. it just looks beautiful. The track, uh, rail true, good for... I mean, it's a decent program uh, as well. Uh, everything's set up. It, it almost gets the feel like it's a warm summer's day. Lots of umbrellas, those big, thick, heavy umbrella, almost pergola-like uh, setups right across the track with those almost... Oh, I'm not even sure if it's grey and white uh, circles around them, but it looks pretty spectacular. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the day out here. There's nothing like getting to the racetrack early when you have to uh, almost jump a fence to get in and there are no race books available and the coffee's only the bad coffee. Anyway, you, you warm up to it. <laughs> hey, Dan. And we're ready to roll. We are ready to roll. Um, we know the McLaughlin family uh, has a... A good connection to racing through a certain family member who we see on our TV screens a lot, but his his brother Gil, of course, um, is the semi outgoing uh, boss of the AFL, and uh, he was good mates with Tony McInerney, who uh, this our the great RSN hope in the in the Phoenix tonight is named after uh, the late Tony McInerney, who Gil McLaughlin had obviously a lot of history through for the AFL, and Gil's uh, actually on the line now to to have a bit of a chinwag about life in general, but also uh, draw the connection between the, the greyhound who represents RSN tonight and his former mate, Tony McInerney. Uh, Gil, how are you? Morning, all. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, Phoenix night tonight. It'll be a, a special one for, for, for a lot of people, including yourself, if a, a greyhound called McInerney can win from the outside box. Yeah, named after... Um, I think it was bred by Noel Muggman, certainly owned by Noel Muggman and others, and uh, named after a, a sort of a legend of the... University Blues Football Club, Tony McInerney, and he was, he was. I mean, the, the, I don't. I mean, it's probably a bit much detail, but the the, the links here go beyond beyond all that. The Phoenix is the sort of symbol, the crest of the of the Melbourne University Football Club. So it's a sort of a feels like a bit of an omen omen there. But Tony was a um, just a one of those great uh, people, men who who gave huge service and contribution to to to, to the football club. That's where I knew him. But he was a He's sort of a, a mentor and a role model to young men. He'd, 
he'd get you out of trouble, but he probably got you into a bit as well. And he was he was a racing he was a racing uh, guy as well as beyond the football club. And he um he wasn't a very lucky owner. He had a horse uh, he's, for his first Metropolitan winner horse kicked I can't remember his name kicked three lengths clear at Sandown one day and got hit by a flock of seagulls and knocked over. Oh. Oh, that was Seagull Gate. We remember that. <laughs> yeah, well, he was the owner of that. He um he used to celebrate success. He had a horse called the Young Bloke at stall, and apparently broke the record for uh, standard drinks and pots, free dr- free drinks between races at stall. Uh, they said he was memorable for that. He w- he was just a, a beautiful person who 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 was president, vice president, committee man, and then um, you know in the last ten years he was. He ran the canteen and he was called Sausages Macaroni. He cooked the sausages every night after training and he was revered. Gil, he sounds like that type of person that's just the backbone of a sporting club and um, what you've just told us now, it seems absolutely fitting that McInerney is representing us tonight, RSN, and also, like you mentioned, the Phoenix Crest. So I know Noel Muggerman said if ever he had a good dog, he would call it McInerney. So it just seems like um, we might need one or two more stars to align, but it really seems like it might be on that trajectory tonight. He, he feels like he, he represents a lot of your listeners, men and women across the country, like, you know, like a pun, like having fun, but a real community contributes and give to give to their the lifeblood of the, the football and netball clubs across the country, and he was one of those. So it, it feels pretty good to me tonight. I saw the prize. He's, he's 20 to 1, isn't he? 33 to 1. 33 to 1. We like that. Um, if, you're looking, if, you, if you believe in omens, McInerney in the Phoenix is one. Well, let, let's hope so. And um, Box 8 might make it a little bit hard for him tonight, but um, so many things can happen in greyhound racing, and um, there's one thing in his favour, and that's his, is he only has one dog next to him um, drawn in the outside box. And we are going to hear from his trainer, Brendan Purcell, shortly. Um, he will give us the reasons behind choosing Box 8 for McInerney and give us the last word on how he thinks his chances are going into the Phoenix tonight. And Gillen, are you, is it something that you've become interested in? Are you interested in greyhound racing or has this sort of prompted you to perhaps take a little bit more notice? I tell you notice this, Doug. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be very transparent. I love uh, the thoroughbreds. I've, I've had dogs before. I am um, the guy called Jeff Slattery. We bought a dog out of Ireland called... Um, I remember in a second. It was in in thoroughbred terms. It was like a two million dollar colt. I think we paid about. It was a, it was it came with a lot of hype. It didn't live up to that. Um, but uh, I, I like uh, like all racing. But uh, I, I spend more time on the thoroughbreds. I admit that. Gillen, uh, it's Dan here. The connection with the greyhound McInerney. Were you aware of the process and the naming uh, after uh, Tony, the, the greyhound McInerney? And, and, and at what stage did you find out it was named after him? Uh, a while ago, I didn't know. Uh, not at the start, and then um, I sort of got a bit of traction when he won that good race. And then I've spoken to Noel Markovan about it, and um, so uh, you know, I, I think when people um, uh, when people make contributions like like Tony, it, it feels pretty fitting that it, that it's come together in a in a greyhound that's actually running for what's the race worth tonight? One point six. Yeah, million dollars winner. Cash down the back of the couch, Gil. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Hey, you know who won that? You know who won the Sandown race? Dacos. Is that right? Dacos was the name of the horse. What was yeah. the horse that hit the front and then fell over? It was called Wise something or why? Got whacked in the head by a, a gull. 
Um, yeah, no, I don't remember, but Shawnee well, Cosgrove's Tony here. Who... Tony McEnany owned that horse. That oh, okay. Good. Well, we'll do some Googling in the ad break. Hey, <laughs> while we've got you, I can't uh, use uh, um, not have this opportunity to ask you about something a bit more broad, re footy and racing. And in racing at the moment, there's a... There's a bit of a push administratively to um, buy into the inverted commas vacant space of uh, later November and December to, to put a gap between racing and footy to get into the better weather and so on. Uh, just from a, a footy point of view, is, is it seen by the AFL that racing does need to, de- need to detach itself from the AFL season to, to maximise its time in the sun? Or is there some sort of piggybacking that, that benefits racing when there is that bit of crossover that goes on between the end of the AFL and the end of September and the quick transition into racing and then there's also uh, trade week and all that sort of thing. Does, does racing necessarily need to further distance itself from the AFL from the, you know, they both capture the sporting imaginations to, to maximise itself or can it actually work in reverse a little bit in your mind? Um, listen, I'm very conscious of anything I might say might be, seem to be um, critical. I think that, that racing is very well administered and and so anything I say out there is more talking generally I do I think at times you are looking for for clean air but also I think you know the the, the momentum generators we come out of football into that clean air gives gives racing a toe in so I've never thought that the racing needs to go back further um I think that you can see the upside of of changing schedules which I know they've looked at I mean I think now final day with the movement of the McKinnon and the changing of that even that construct of the of the Flemington week, uh, it feels like it's changed momentum by making a, a couple of decisions to change stuff. So, I think the theory of discussing how do you how do you maximise schedule is an important one because in football we do that all the time, trying to get as juice get as much juice as we can out of the schedule. But I don't think you need to avoid competition. I, I think you look at yourself and work out what's the best uh, work for your code. And I don't think you need to to run away from us or anything else. I really I really don't. I mean. Football people are mostly racing people as well. It's more making the schedule, optimising it, and I know racing's looking at that all the time. Uh, Gil, um, this is your farewell year. In fact, you've had the farewell that even John Farnham would be proud of. I think it was about yeah. April, wasn't it? You announced your resignation. But w- yeah, when I'll, are you, are you finishing up? Year. Sorry? Oh, OK. When are you finishing up, or have you got news to tell us? No, no, no. I'm going to round five. I... I was going to be leaving at the end of the year. There's just a few things have come up with a few loose ends. I did, um, you know, I was talking to my chairman all the time, and I feel need to just clean a couple of these things up that came up late in the year. And uh, I'm leaving round five, which is gather round in Adelaide. Um, I'll leave that weekend. Gillen, I'm going to go completely off track here, though. But um, just to mention about your mum, she's just such an astute equestrian and has been for many, many years. And um, is she disappointed that the boys didn't take up the dressage? But uh, I don't know. She, I think uh, she's certainly still keen. I think she's, um, you know, she's into her seventies now. Still thinks she's going to the Olympics in twenty-four. Uh, um, no, she's uh, she's dedicated her life to the horses. She's actually breeding a few at the moment, few, few race horses. She actually had her trainer's license. You know, she won a, won a couple of races. So she's just loved horses. Obviously, the dressage has been a big part of her late life, but she's been uh, involved in every sort of type of horse sport her whole life, and she's. Truly passionate woman with horses, no doubt about that. Is she a six footer, your mum? Because you boys are very tall. Is your mum a tall woman? She's six feet tall, yeah. Six footer. My father yeah. used to be six three. He's about five ten now. He's shrunk, <laughs> but she's still holding the line. 
My old man used to be the ruckman for old parade, and now he's about five foot two. Uh, my dad's <laughs> well, I actually, I came back last night to. Um, I'm actually in South Australia this morning. I've got a thing back here. I've come back to the family farm. My my youngest brother's taken up the farm. Arrived with my kids, and there's a, you know, those those cupboards with the with the circuit board behind it where we were all measured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got we've all they measured from when you were, you know we all grew up here. So I measured my kids with a bit of rite of passage. I looked at my sort of peak height, and then my father's peak height was in about 1991, and then he started measuring himself on the way down. He dropped five inches. So <laughs> Why would you measure yourself on the way top. down? <laughs> well, because now we sort of pat him on the head. He used to be a big man, and now he sort of, he used to, he, 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 could, he could ride it in a jump face. Yeah, no, it's quite tragic when you start marking the decline on the, oh, on, the, on, the, on, the on the headboard. <laughs> hey, uh, Gil, good on you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling us a bit about uh, Tony McInerney. And uh, I know you'll have uh, a little oh, something each way at the odds tonight. I think it's essential in the Phoenix. Anyway, I hope, it, I hope the dog runs well. Thanks for having time. Good on you, Gil. Gil McLaughlin there, the kind of outgoing uh, boss of the AFL. And, Dan, I, I think it was interesting. I know maybe it's my obsession at the moment, this issue of... The Spring Carnival and dates and do we push back or don't we, weighing up history versus uh, innovation and all that sort of stuff. But I, I agree with Gil in that I, I think the assumption that racing has that um, it needs to put a gap between the AFL and itself to get full exposure, I'm not sure that's true. I think racing, I think in a general sporting sense, I think racing benefits from intermingling for a short period with footy and then the handover. I, I, I think if you put too big a gap between the two, then you might do more harm than good. Look, we grew up at a time where each uh, AFL game was a Saturday afternoon and you'd go to the footy, if you went to the footy, you would see the race results through the day. It didn't matter what ground that you went to. And conversely, it was the same thing. Radio, I think, uh, in, in encompassed all the racing and, and all, all the footy. It's a bit different now. It's not just the footy that's spread out and staggered over the weekend. The racing is as well. Um, so the racing has grown as well as the football. So it, it makes it difficult. But I agree with you. Uh, it, it comp- they complement one another. Uh, but the direct clashes for the features uh, is something that I think both uh, industries have worked really well with uh, uh, avoiding uh, one not getting uh, the spotlight they deserve. Well, and I think maybe if racing, i.e. Racing Victoria, etc., worked more closely with aligning itself with the AFL and working out how it can mesh into to, to the AFL narrative a bit, maybe that might be... Something it could explore a little bit further as well, but Simone, we have we have a very Dan, we have a very special guest. But you you were going to say something prior. Well, you just imagine you look at the gaps between races. Say on a Saturday, for example, they're forty minute gaps generally. Now, how long does a quarter of football go for? I know it seems like it's impossible, but it'd be a little bit of a dream, wouldn't it, to have a, a you can have a football game. You know, 25 minutes plus your time on that would fit perfectly in between races. Could you imagine that? I wonder if it could ever be achievable. Well, you never know. People also say, oh, but, you know, you know, the, the, the Herald Sun, for instance, dedicates so much space to footy uh, and not to racing. And if it crosses over, well, the might of the Herald Sun as, a, as the narrative of the town is nowhere near what it was 20 years ago. So I'm not sure what sort of a benchmark that is. Anyway, Simone. Well, someone will be hoping tonight that lightning strikes twice in the Phoenix. The greyhound that we've all been talking about is McInerney, of course. And let's just take a little bit of a refresher. About three months ago, what he did up at Wentworth Park. Racing. He's on fire away. Brantley spearing straight to the lead from French 
Martini and McInerney getting up on the rails. Zipping Kyrgios into fourth placing now. They're followed by Aglan Luai. Next came Gatlin. Well back is Hold Me Up and last zipping Alabama. Down the back straight and it's he's on fire who leads it by two. McInerney. Zipping Kyrgios is running on. They're clear of Aglan Luai. It's he's on fire at the home corner just from McInerney. Zipping Kyrgios in the middle. McInerney hit the front. Zipping Kyrgios strike. McInerney. McInerney's won the $10 million chase and beaten Zipping Kyrgios. And that was McInerney winning the million dollar chase at Wentworth Park back in September. And like I mentioned, um, his trainer, Brendan Purcell, will be hoping that lightning does strike twice tonight to take out the Phoenix worth $1 million also. And joining us on the line this morning to give us the most recent update on McInerney. Race day update, Simone. Race Race day day update. Yes, is, uh, and might be the last one on radio today, who knows, is Brendan Purcell. Good morning, Brendan. Yeah, how you going, guys? We're good. Hey, what's the, the race day routine? You've got a... I was just thinking after you won the million dollar chase, that old line of nothing left to prove. <laughs> but the game, the, the dance goes on. And today, of course, the Phoenix. But with a, a greyhound running in a, in a massive race, what's the... And the race is on this evening, of course, and you've got to get to the Meadows. What's, what will McInerney do today on, on game day? Yeah, no, he hasn't done much at all. He's just been going out, out into the yard, um, empty out and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, he gets a pre-race feed in the morning and... Um, yeah, that's about it. He'll just relax, relax in his kennel for the day and um, keep him as quiet as he possibly can. And, um, yeah, then we'll head off about 4 o'clock. Brendan, uh, Simone said that could be the last interview you do today. Well, I understand Andrew Bensley's going to be there tonight and we both know Andrew well enough to know that he's going in, uh, to interview you before the race, during and after. So I'm tipping it's nowhere near the last interview for the day. No, no, no. <laughs> that's exactly right. I, I um, hope there's a lot more to come actually after tonight, but... Um, yeah, no, no, it's been been very full on and um, been very good and um, yeah, like RSN have been brilliant to deal with and um, yeah, they sort of let me do what I want with the dog in the way of um, giving me time to do stuff if I have to and then um, do a few commitments that they wanted me to do. Just take us through that because he's the most publicised pre-race greyhound in Australian history, I think, because of the nature of the... Uh, the Phoenix, because of uh, the racing radio station RSN's involvement in the Greyhound, and we haven't—we've been like a dog with a bone, and we, we've even had OBs at your uh, at your kennels down there. So, what's what's it been like? Is there any sense of? I know Kamakanuni's a thirty-to-one chance, but is there a heightened sense of uh, hope and expectation tonight, given the the whole backstory? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, look, this is probably uh, the most pressure race I've ever been in. Um, I would say just because. Um, oh, look, I know he's drawn wide and he's, a, he's an outsider and all that sort of thing, but I just want him to go good more, more for RSN and, and um, everyone that's been listening, you know, like it's, it's in, in that way. If, um, yeah, there's been a lot of pressure, that's for sure. You know, if he, you know, if he wins, Simone, um, I spoke to Bernard Saundry at the Christmas party. We all get 30 grand. Every staff member gets 30 grand if McInerney wins, Dan. Were you aware of that? <laughs> Uh, well, I like the sound of it. Well, it's a complete lie, but anyway, though, I did it make that good. pitch at the Christmas party and it got knocked out <laughs> of the ballpark. If, even if we shared the 30000 I'd be cool with that as well. Exactly. I would be too. But, Brendan, it must be, as you know, you, you're feeling the pressure, but it must be a little bit less pressure than, say, Amron Boy, who is going to probably start the favourite. Surely you can just enjoy it a little bit, given that he is a little bit of an outsider. And, look, strange things happen in greyhound racing, and um, you just can't discount any of the greyhounds, really. But going into it with 
you know, a little bit of the underdog drawn out wide, um, does that sort of take the pressure off a little bit and allow you to enjoy it? Or is it just you so caught up in it at the moment that it's hard to sort of know what's going on? Oh, look, I think I'll um, enjoy it. There's no doubt about that. It's just, just been a little bit more pressure because, I, like I said before, I just want the dog to go good um, for RSN, RSN. And, um, you know, it's been, been a lot put into it. And, um, yeah, I, I just... You know, like from his from his boxes, he's got his work cut out. But I mean, I went, I actually put him there just for a reason. You galloped um, at the at the bar- just take us to the barrier draw. I was going to ask you about that. You were in a you you got your choice and you made a beeline for box eight. Yeah, well, when one two, I, look, I really wanted one, of course. Um, but then when um, one two and three went, and the dogs that were there, um, and then I was going to have to go into four, and I just thought I'm either going to have plaintiff on the outside of me. I, I thought Jason wanted an odd number, which was five, or Amron Boy, and, and, and they both go hard, hard left. I was probably going to be out of the race you know, after the first 10 metres. Um, putting him out there, um, he's still going to need the luck. He's going to need a lot of dogs to have bad luck, and he, he has the luck, but he's going to get a clear run. He'll give him every chance. If he's good enough, um, and it can happen to work out where they do sort of jam up on the inside, well, you never know. You know I mean, he, he could be whipping around them not very quick if they're jamming up, so... He's come such a long way in the last six months, hasn't he? And uh, your son, Blake, I know he's played a, a hand in his training as well. Is Blake coming over from Tasmania tonight? Yeah, no, he's coming to handle him, yeah. And he ran second in the Top Gun too. So going around the Meadows, he's, he's got a great record, 15 starts for four wins and four placings. So he's been in the money more than half his starts at the Meadows, Brendan. Um you know, we can't write him off, but we've got to respect the fact that um, he's the bigger odds. But maybe it's one of those things that, you know, take a, take a little bet at the long odds and you never know what might happen. You want a bit of carnage to your immediate left, don't you? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, on his form there, his form's been good since he's been back. Um, a lot of those runs were when he was young, you know what I mean, racing in maidens and um, when he wasn't even two. So when since he's been back, he's probably, I, I don't know... I, off the top of the head, he's probably had five or six starts there for three or three wins or something in a second in the top gun. Um, yeah, so so I mean, he's a different dog now, but it's just like I said, you're just going to need that, that little bit of luck where, where a few of them have bad luck, and if there's a bit of pressure from the outside, well, they can really jam up, and then you never know, you know. Brendan, essentially a hand-picked race, a pretty special race, and it's amazing how in 12 months this race has talked about the way it is. And, and I love it. Last year was extraordinary. This year's field, is that as good a bunch of greyhounds as you have seen, incorporating the fact that they're not just good, they are also the most popular greyhounds going around? Yeah, I look, there's a lot of high-profile dogs there, and... and um I mean, as for the, the goodest field or, or the best dogs there, I'm sure there's been better dogs and, and all that sort of thing. But it, right at this point in time, you know, I mean, it's put together a, a terrific field, and um, be hard to, hard to find one better anyway. And um, yeah, like it's, it's 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 it is very good. Brendan, I don't think I've ever heard a race more turned upside down than the uh, the Phoenix. I was listening to the Georgie Ferruja and the boys, and the panel spoke for about an hour. Cosy, you're there. You you were part of that panel, weren't you? Yeah. That, I've never seen a race with more p- potential speed map scenarios. Uh, well, I'd liken the turn, Brendan, from box four in, that could be like dodging cars going to the first corner. No, exactly. And there's that many um, variables in the race, like like what we all think what might happen. Um, but as, as everyone knows, dog racing, like it only takes one dog that can come out a little bit and go a little bit left and touch another one and they start jamming. 
Um, and more or less, I mean, I mean, wow, she's fast, probably drawn perfect out there. You know what I mean? Like, if, if for something like that, she, she, she might just, you know, if she happens to get the start, right, she might be the one that's in front. And, Brendan, if she doesn't, that dog outside her from Queensland's got pace. If it comes across her, you're sitting there smoking the pipe out wide. Well, that's what we're hoping, yeah. Oh, really. go McInerney, come if on. If there's no jam up, Brendan, if, and yep. Simone will have a view on this as well, if there's no jam up, if they all get clean enough to the first turn, who's who's the likely leader? Uh, it's, I'd say either one or two. She's a pearl? Yeah. Yeah. yeah one, one or two. But what do you reckon, yeah, Simone? Yeah. I think you're right, Brendan. And, and the other thing, too, when you look at the best times, like Amron Boys run, what was it, 29.45 there last week. Um, you know, and realistically, I know you said to me during the week, McInerney can't run that time. So, you know, there's so many different variables. And you do need something to one of the, the faster dogs, I guess, that can run those times to have a little bit of interference to be able to um, make up that ground. It's just so interesting. Like, it's just such a great race to analyse and, and look at. But definitely one and two drawn near the rails. If they jump cleanly, they're strong and they're fast. So they're going to be very hard to run down. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I mean, I do think if I was sitting at home and um, I didn't have McInerney and I was having a bet, I'd be backing Amron Boy. Um, only because he's just airborne at the moment. And he's just running through a brick wall and... Um, if, if, even if he doesn't begin, he'll lob straight across onto the fence. And she's a pearl. has got a tendency, what we've seen at Sandown, not as, not as much as Wetworth Park, to want to get up the track a little bit on that first turn. And he, he, he could just rail through and be hitting, hitting the, the um, front down the back. But um, let's hope that don't happen. Hey, right. just just on race day preparation, uh, you mentioned keeping him calm. Like, is, is the worst thing that can happen today is wasted energy? Like, if you're sitting there watching the TV and you hear a, a scuffle out in the... And in the kennels, and McInerney's pacing up and down, and and, I, and getting overexcited about something going on in the background. Is is that what you need to shield him from? Is to preserve his energy levels as much as you possibly can today? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, well, um, we had an early start because I had a, I got a dog racing in Sydney and Wentworth Park to, tonight, so um, we're out there at four o'clock this morning getting it ready to go. And um, yeah, you, you sort of. As soon as I got that other dog out, he was up and he, he was ready to go himself. So we, we just got to try and um, yeah, just do everything the same. And and we're fed him now, and, and just hopefully you know just not not even thinking about racing at all. But he, he's pretty good. He's um, yeah, I've got some younger ones racing there tonight, and and they know what they're doing now, and they're the ones that'll be up mucking around more than he, he will be. You know. Well, Brendan, um, thank you very much for being a part of this. You've been awesome in your almost daily updates of McInerney. It's all part of what is a pretty special race, and I'm sure uh, you're delighted to be a part of it. We'll be part of that ride with you tonight. Go the pink dog, go uh, with McInerney. So thank you again, and all the very best of luck tonight. No, thank you, and I'd like to thank RSN, because they've been, like I said before, they've been very good to deal with, and um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brendan Purcell. They're the trainer of McInerney. Uh, Simone, uh, there's a terrific coverage on RSN tonight, headed up by Andrew Bensley and the, and the Hawk and Ethan Christian and yourself for something pretty special uh, tonight. Uh, with a race, as I said, it's only the second running, but uh, it, feels like, uh, it feels like it's actually been around for longer. Such is the focus on this race. It's certainly built momentum in a very short space of time. And I think the fairy tale was written last year, Dan, when Wow She's Fast took it out for Sportsbet when they were actually coming up against the riving betting company who had sponsored it. So um, it was set the scene and I think it's gathered so much public opinion and interest that it's onwards and upwards from here.
Well, are you good at making speeches, Simone? Oh, sometimes it depends what I'm talking about. Well, I know Matt is good at making statements. I don't know about speeches, but uh, he's put together a terrific segment on some pretty special uh, speeches, which will be relevant to a horse that's running uh, today at uh, Flemington. I'll I'll just explain the context of that, Yeah. uh, yeah, Dan, because unfortunately I teed up Courtney Pace, who is a legend. She was one of the great picnic jockeys and she works on the scales at Flemington. And uh, her mum, Helen, died um, not long before Colesridge won on Golden Mile Day at Bendigo last year. And uh, it was a very emotional time. And Colesridge won at 20 to 1 for Harry Coffey. And Arthur Pace, uh, um, Courtney and uh, Courtney's um, dad was, was very emotional post-race. And then Harry Coffey stepped up and delivered one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard off the cuff, just to put the whole thing in context about what racing really means in the bigger context of life and so on. And uh, so we've, got, we've, we've found that speech again, and we're going to play it again. Unfortunately, we can't... Uh, Courtney had an emergency shoulder surgery um, appointment that popped up due to a cancellation, so she had to cancel. And Arthur's seemingly not a good phone response, text message responder. So... so that that's the little segment we've got coming up and I'm in order to give it some context, you're you're good at this historical stuff, Dan. I've plucked three of the most memorable speeches in history to go alongside the fourth, and that's Harry Coffey's. So we're going to do that. But first, before we go, you're going to reflect on one of the great wins in uh, in, in this race, in the big race in Perth today. On our way to the well, break. The- Big race uh, in, in Brisbane today. The Grand Prix Stakes, as you'll remember, was Sorry, a Brisbane, fabulous yeah. race through the Green, Queensland Carnival. And uh, it's one of the three features that will be heard on RSN through the race day uh, this afternoon. But in 1980, my best slash favourite horse, most impressionable horse for me at that time, uh, was Kingston Town. And he just did a dibble, demolition job of winning the 1980 Grand Prix Stakes. And in a few bounds, up goes Kingston Town. Kingston Town races up, takes the lead from Red Kilter. Uh, Star Dynasty's well beaten. Now Kingston Town, Johnson is niggling him away. And away he goes, and it's all over. Kingston Town wins the Grand Prix stakes, and there's still 50 metres to go. A very, very easy win. Kingston Town, about three lengths to... uh... Welcome back to Cracking the Codes. Uh, yeah, big race day, isn't it? Uh, beautiful Flemington. Uh, the weather's, uh, well, it's better than just fine. It's a beautiful day. Track's good and the rail's in the true position and there'll be a terrific focus on race day. I'll be joining uh, Matt Hill and uh, Trav Noonan and Marie McEwen on track this afternoon and a wonderful uh, broadcast tonight headed up by Andrew Bensley of the uh, feature race the phoenix at the greyhounds at the meadows tonight and also cranbourne cup in the harness but uh we were talking speeches before the break uh, matt and um you uh well lead us in here because we've got some of the most famous speeches of all time and uh we were referring to harry coffee uh at bendigo after Coleridge one who of course is running in the kensington stakes today Colesridge at, at flemington yeah and 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 going first up again and Colesridge is a freak first up so I was so taken, because Harry Coffey, everyone everyone knows Harry's story, but on top of um, the health battles he's had during the years, he's, he's just such a, 
uh, he's got a lot of wisdom about the context of racing in the outside world and even even in this case, life and death. And this was a speech he made after Colesridge won on Golden Mile Day at Bendigo, knowing the backstory of his very close uh, friends, uh, uh, the Pace family and, and what they'd been through. And uh, his speech uh, will play last, but to set the scene, I was trying to think, how do, we, how do we rank it on the great speeches of all time? Well, we'll do a little reminder of some of the great speeches of all time. And I'm sure you remember this one from the, uh, from the Federal Parliament about 10 years ago in, in Canberra. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. And I rise to oppose the motion moved by the Leader of the Opposition. And in so doing, I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the government will not be lectured about sexism All right, that's, uh, that's Julia Gillard with the misogyny man. speech. And then going back many, many decades, uh, we go to this uh, probably most famous speech of all time, Cosy from Martin Luther King. Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. All right, that's a snapshot of Martin Luther King. We could play it all, but you get the drift. And then this one's not bad either. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight... With growing confidence and... All right, and that was Winston Churchill. So there's a snapshot of the three great speeches of all time. This, for me, is the fourth. Now, I'll try not to um, get emotional, actually. It's, I don't really worry too much when I win a race because that's what we're expected to do. That's our job. But the Pace family, they're rippers. I love riding in their colours. And <clears throat> the fact that um, Arthur lost his wife and he's two the whole family lost their mum a couple of weeks ago so, or might be a month ago now shocking and what do you do you keep getting up out of bed and work your horses why wouldn't you when you got one that can let rip like that down the outside so um it's a massive thrill for me their families watched my career and given me every opportunity they possible could possibly could my whole riding career it's because um, when I was a younger boy, Dad trained here at Bendigo and he used to tie up next to Arthur and uh, it was plain and simply shit when they lost their beautiful mum. So this horse has uh, <coughs> made some of the hard times a little bit easier today. Yeah, and that, that, I still remember it almost word for word, that speech, and that was Harry Coffey putting in... in on the spur of the moment, putting into context so many things in about a, a two-minute space of time. So now we fast-forward uh, six or seven months. Uh, life has moved on for the Pace family, guys, and Colesridge uh, returns to the races today and resumes. Dean Holland rides today. I think maybe H couldn't make the 54 kilos, uh, but uh, I thought that was uh, a lovely speech. Have you heard that before, the Harry Coffey speech, Simone? Um, I'm, I may have heard it, but I didn't realise the context of which it was. And all I can think is when these jockeys are after, after a race and they've had a, got a microphone in front of them, how out of breath they really are. Um, so for anyone that says... Well, because Harry's got cystic fibrosis oh, as well. So I didn't so, even know yeah, that, so it makes yeah. it doubly hard. But um, for people that say you just sit on a horse and the horse does all the work, well, I mean, you get the gist there that um, Harry was out of breath and trying not to get too emotional about something that obviously was very close to his heart. A, a lovely speech, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and obviously time moves on, Dan, and I'm sure the Pace family's going to the races today with a, a nice sense of uh, expectation with Coles Ridge. Haven't been able to get hold of Arthur this morning. He's busy preparing Coles Ridge. And first up in the Kensington Stakes today, uh, I think it'll be if Coles Ridge can come to town and win a big race like this today. And he's been a well-backed outsider, Dan. 
Um, it'll be the story of the day if Coles Ridge can win today. Yeah, look, it'll be a feel-good story. There's no doubt about that. And talking about Harry Coffey, um, his speech was unscripted. Um, I'm pretty sure Winston Churchill's and Martin Luther King's would have been scripted, uh, with all due respect. Uh, so to come out with something so powerful and so meaningful there is, is credit uh, to Harry as a human being. He, he is an inspiration, and we know with uh, the time that he spent on, on radio and RSN uh, with his uh, with his coffee break um, uh, segments, uh, no, he's a legend, and he's got some chances today as well. Absolutely. Uh, now, Courtney um, was one of the. See, they're racing at Yay today, Simone. So Yay's uh, the picnic circuit has finally got going after all the bad weather and so on. And there was a time where Courtney was the queen of the picnics for for about a decade. She's probably one of the top three greatest ever picnic riders, and uh, now she's moved on, Dan, to become the. The Clark of Scales, I think, is the official role. She was at Geelong yesterday, and uh, she would normally be at Flemington today in the Scales area as well. So I think the, the amateur um, pay packets of the, the – even when you're the queen of the picnics has subsided to a need to get a regular paycheck. And uh, hence, uh, she's, uh, she's uh, the Clark of Scales, and she would normally be at Flemington today, but I think she's got a little shoulder op or something like that. So, and, of course, the Pace family as well, Dan. There's, there's a lot of crossover into the world of harness. Yeah, there is. It's a very famous name, isn't it? Uh, Pace. In fact, harness racing will be lost without the, the Maltese involvement. There's no doubt about that. We'd only have about half the horses going around in our industry. Uh, collectively, they're a wonderful unit. I'm sure they're all related in some way, shape or form. They all sound the same, don't they? But <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And unlike, unlike Gillum, there's very few that actually get over six feet tall. <laughs> no, no, that's right. And I, I, he's I, about I, a six foot I, eight, Gil. I'm married, I'm married to a half Maltese. I can get away with saying things like that to a degree. Um, but look, that was fabulous listening to some of those speeches. And uh, the, what do you make of the race day today, uh, Matt? Yeah, I like it. Uh, gee, what a shame Hal Vorson's come out, Dan, because Hal Vorson was the, the targeted horse who flies up the straight and he's got a snotty nose. And poor old Andrew Mallion uh, had to come, came down all the way from Queensland to keep the continuation going. And now A. Mallion uh, is left without a Hal Vorson. Uh, it's funny how, like, the two main races today, you've got the JRA Trophy, which is race six, and the Kensington Stakes race seven. There was one horse weighted on 60 kilos, and every other horse in both races had the limit weight. You don't yeah. see that too often, do you? Well, the only time in recent times is things like Melbourne Cups, where you've got a very long tail with the weights. But as you say, um, the Kensington Stakes been around for a while, first time back since Champions Day, and then familiar horses like Persan going around in the uh, JRA Trophy and uh, and the rest. And Brisbane's good today. Sydney's not bad. A bit of... Uh, Bit of stuff going on in Perth as well, but you know the the best thing happening. We're going to talk to Peter Jolly in the next hour. Just a little yep. scene setter. He's the dad of David and Richard, and Richard and his daughter Chantel are going for what seems to be at least a South Australian record at Gawler today, where they've trained a metro at least one metro winner Simone at 14 consecutive Saturday Metro fixtures in South Australia. Wow, that's an achievement. And they've got, they've got about three runners. Gawler's standalone Metro today. But Chantel was telling me earlier in the week that she thinks the run might come to an end because they've run out of horses. So, <laughs> but we'll talk to Peter Jolly uh, in the next hour about that. We're going to talk to Steph Thornton in the next hour too, Dan. We spoke to her husband last week and got him five winners. So yes. we've gone to the missus today. <laughs> She's only got two, so we'll give her a double.
And Peter, of course, trains more Varda, yep. a horse that has got a r affinity with Flemington. He's only won here on one occasion, but his record is super. And the last time he met Corner Pocket, there was very little between them. So we'll get uh, a jolly good update on a number of things in a short while. Uh, Cranbourne Cup harness racing tonight. It's Group 1 tonight. It's a terrific field. Rock and Roll Do is coming back after his New Zealand campaign. We've got horses that are coming out of the Inter-Dominion Grand Final last week, including Mac Dan and also Torrid Saint, who was the runner-up in the Inter at uh, Milton. Uh, it's a race that has had some famous horses win it, but I reckon the most famous was this day in 1980. Believe it or not, it was run on a Monday, but the great Paleface Adios won the Cranbourne Cup and notched up his 100th victory. Master Kane last as they corner for home, but Paleface Adios out after the cricket score century. He's flashing the tail, he's waving to the crowd, that's what he's doing. He's 15 metres in front, down the outside, Hannah's boy battling on Janza, Master Kane, but Paleface Adios, listen to the mob go mad. This is history in trotting, harness world trotting history it is. This is going to bolt him, Paleface Adios wins 15 metres, Mark Radium second, third, was wins a... Welcome back to uh, Cracking the Codes. Flemington today, um, uh, Matt and Simone, the race we were just talking about, the Kensington Stakes, it's worth $200,000. It's been a reshaping of some semi-feature races over the summer uh, carnival, uh, or over the summer. It's a sprint series kicking off today, but there's a million-dollar uh, prize at the end of that. It's the first of the four legs today. It's quite extraordinary, Matt, isn't it? Unbelievable sort of money that's, um, that's available these days, and not just... Uh for the super elite, the, it's when it's spread around and there's multiple opportunities like the Pakenham uh, Maiden Series as well. So, yeah, you've got to be a bit more broad than just filling up the top end. And I think there's a good evidence of that going on at the moment. Hey, guess who turns 62 today? Wayne Harris. Ah, champion jockey, champion apprentice, golden slipper, Jeune, Melbourne Cup. What a legend. Yeah, and he, he had a lot of battles in recent years. So good on you, uh, Wayne, uh, 62 today. Happy birthday to Wayne. A happy birthday indeed. He was in the bracket of that champion jockey. Look, would Darren Gauchy, Wayne Harris, a similar type profile? Or like, there wouldn't be a lot between them as apprentices. They were probably as good as we've ever had. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Um, Gauch is probably number one for fame, if you know what I mean. Like, married to the little talent timer. So he had this real superstardom thing, that? didn't he? Who was what was it? Karen Duncan? Karen. Karen Duncan? Karen Duncan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, still is. Well, he, prior to that, he was married to Gay Marchant, wasn't it? No, no that no, was his brother, that's Mick. That's his brother, Mick. Yep. Okay, all right. I remember... Or unless you know something no, we don't know. I'm, I'm getting my wires crossed, but a number of years ago, I um, hosted the Shepherd and Greyhound Awards, and she was a guest, because she, and she was talking about the struggles as a female wanting to be a jockey, and she was banging on the door of the VRC manager or someone and saying, oh, I want to do this. And I thought, I've just got my wires crossed. It was a while ago. And, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. Yeah. And she, she, Gay is a real character. She She's was a, a real character. Yeah. You wouldn't she, want to um, say, tell Gay, no, she can't do anything. She'd be certainly banging yeah, on the door. She, yeah, she gave us that impression <laughs> in no uncertain terms. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, Gay, the, oh, you're going to mention the Inter Dominion, no doubt. You just had that, uh, that, the feeling about you going to chat about last Saturday night. Um, so what were you going to ask? I, I didn't want to steal your thunder. No, I was going to ask you exactly that. I was going to ask you, because I wasn't there, the coverage, RSN coverage was, it's amazing how multi-pronged the coverage has gone from mm. not zero to everything, but it certainly uh, exploded. And then uh, 
the dot com coverage was really, really good. I've got to say, T- to the point where it, it drew me in and, and didn't get me off the couch. Straight from the gallops into the trot, straight from the gallops into the the, uh, the greyhounds a couple of weeks earlier. And so tonight's going to be a real feast uh, across all media um, mediums, Dan. But uh, what was the postscript from the from the Inter Dominion? Uh, the crowd it looked fantastic. The coverage was great. My only little niggle with the race itself is I wish they'd set it a lighter lap earlier. I, I just got into a bit bit too much of a holding pattern for my liking the race, but that's a little minor thing. But uh, overall, it was a, a bit of a blockbuster, wasn't it? Yeah, look, it was. crowd was terrific. There's no doubt that the weather is key when you're holding important harness racing events, but uh, you can get a feel for the type of crowd that's there, and I, I felt that they were all there to watch the horses they were there for the entertainment uh, as opposed to other times they might come for other things so it was a wonderful ambience to be a part of a significantly uh, positive um, uh, crowd that attended Melton last week Bruce McAvenny uh, popped out and he had a lot to do with uh, the coverage on Saturday night as well and uh, such a revered um, sports broadcaster but very popular as well and he left an indelible mark on his night at Melton last Saturday night uh, also Simone. And Dan, there was a lovely interview that you did with Bruce throughout the night. It went for about four or five minutes, so anyone that hasn't seen it might want to try and find it. Um, Isn't Bruce's memory and recollection of facts, figures, statistics unbelievable? Um, I know he's been doing it for a long time. Dan, you're in Bruce's league as well, as far as I'm concerned, because I know you rattle off things that we're looking at thinking. There's a particular (laughs) um, quality that race callers have because of... There's a lot of data retention and, and like, Dan's a, uh, a massive preparer for things, even this show, which is good because maybe one or two of us are a little bit negligent. Maybe, you know? maybe, maybe one, maybe one, one or two. Maybe let's keep a bit one. vague about Maybe let's just keep a bit. Um, but Bruce, it, it's not all just automatic either. He's a dedicated um, mm. boner-upper. And you were saying, uh, Dan, that Shawnee's uh, 60th the night before, Bruce had to, even though he was just playing a cameo role at the... Uh, the trots the next night, he still was determined to never be asked a question that he didn't know the answer to. Yeah, totally. We had a good chat on the on the Friday night, and we, we caught up there. Um, and, yeah, he couldn't help himself. I, I could tell he, he hit the books, and he would have had a late night. Uh, but that's what you do. I mean, when you're used to working at such a high level, you want to cross the T's, and you want to dot the I's, and it's just the way you prepare. And even when I was much younger, I mean, effectively, Bruce uh, was the one that gave me my opportunity uh, at 17 to join Channel 10 and, and be the number two race caller, become a, a, a sports journalist as well. But he prepared in the same way um, there. he uh, You could never prepare enough. And Eddie Maguire was the same. I, I can absolutely see why these guys are so successful because I saw the time, the effort that they put in. People would often say it was a sacrifice that they made, but you don't sacrifice when you love it. You know, when you want to succeed and you want to be right, you just don't want to let anyone down around you. And Bruce is absolutely like that. And he loves it. And he had he, he strutted around. He had an aura about him. He was very popular out there the other night. And, and I know he enjoyed his night, but he couldn't help himself. He got stuck into the history of the Inner Dominion. And it's a wonderful thing to to learn. And he, he cut his teeth in the harness, you know. Well, I, His yeah. first broadcasting break came as a harness uh, race caller in South Australia. I remember when he was going through Gareth Hall, who did a great job as well, they were wandering through the, 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 the stalls shed and he ran into, it was Lance Justice, wasn't it? Uh, who yeah, was hobbling one up and Bruce goes, you remember me? And he goes, yeah, I think I remember you <laughs> from the olden days. Like when they were both in a much more humble sort of uh, 
uh, stage of their careers, you might say. So, no, it was great. And then we had a little bit of action uh, back at uh, Melton last night, Dan. Yeah, well, the Vic Breads, we went straight into the Vic Breads. There were horses like Act Now and uh, and Better Eclipse. They they were in the same race last night, but that was six days after they made the Inter-Dominion Grand Final. So, and that was a heat of a series. So there's a heat, semi-finals the next uh, Friday uh, night. And then, of course, New Year's Eve is the 12 races, 12 Group 1s. It's Vic Bread night, and it's a spectacular night. It's the biggest crowd they get at Melton for the year. But it was a quick backup for a number of horses. Naratak Prince was another one, a long fellow. Major Moth, wow, how good is this horse? He's come back from injury, guys. I uh, proceeded before his race last night, made the suggestion maybe uh, that we should get on him for the Hunter Cup. The way he has come back, I think he's as good as Act now. So uh, with that in mind, he might be able to win a big one, and I hope so for the for Lenny Parker, for the owners, Damien Wilson. They've got a very good horse, and he might be one of the next big things to be talked about over the summer. Now, guys, I've, just to prove that people do listen to our show, I've just received a text message from Eddie Carawana. Well, Carawana. we kind of thought they did anyway. Well, we did, but just to prove that they actually do. Eddie Carawana from the Meadows, he's the chairman at the Meadows, he's just sent me a text and to say that Gay Mullins married Mick Gouchy, Darren's brother, divorced many years ago, later married Ernie Marchment, and now training horses in Queensland. So there you go. thanks, Eddie, for that little bit of information. I will see you at the Meadows tonight. But, guys, I've got a little bit of a confession to make. Oh, hang on. I watched watched Mm. the Hunter Cup, not the Hunter Cup, the um, Inter-Dominion Trotters final um, from the barrier at Mount Denis at the Killers show on Saturday night. Going to talk to you about Um, that in a minute too. Yeah, it was a terrific race though. I really, it was in between bands and it was very enjoyable standing there in my own little zone watching it and um, what a finish. I mean, between two big guns, Mm. Kate Gath and and Greg Sugars, but I actually received a text from Andy Gath during the week as well and um, he said to me, he said, um, he could talking about the killers again because you know I'm a big fan and I went Tuesday and Wednesday night too because oh I God. don't have a laugh. That's, you know what that is? Anyway, that's stalking. It is, but that's okay. But he sent me a photo and he said, I could only do last night, but at least I got to see them. I'm guessing you are a fan going by your social media posts and, and that's fine. But then he did say, I made the mistake of taking Kate. I could see the disappointment on her face that she had to go home with me and not Brandon. And I said, well... I hate to tell you. Simone feels the same way about Brandon. In fact, she saw Brandon three times in the one week. Uh, so the killers now have a restraining order against one member of the Cracking the Codes well, team, Dan. So What, what time? Ask uh, Simone, well, I'll ask her, um, how long before the concert did you get there to queue up? Well, on the... On the Saturday at Mount Denis, the car parks didn't open until 2. So, I mean, I left cracking the codes with full intentions of being there earlier than 2, but that's fine. I got to the line up near the front of the line at 2. And then on the Monday, I got there at 1.30. And it, and it started at 7.30. Well, they didn't come on until 9, but I was right down the front. <laughs> and then on the Wednesday, it was a last-minute decision to go again, and um, I didn't get there till. 6.30, but I actually got right down the front again. There wasn't as many people. But to put it in context, I haven't been is on a Is there any context? Yeah, there is. I haven't been on a holiday for four and a half years, like a proper going overseas oh, holiday. Violin, Dan. You got the so, little violin. So this is my oh. thing. I'm at home all the time doing dogs, horses, kids, all of that, preparing for cracking the codes. So if not for the killers, your life so, would be a total misery. Well, I've got to have some little bit of joy somewhere along Well, we the had line. a nice lunch on Monday. We did. We cracking the Codes Christmas lunch. lunch. Got a little Craig. bit out of control towards the end, Dan. Craig, our old producer. Well, yeah. We, hey, we listen, we've, we've got to the end. Well, 
where we have for this hour. Um, guys, it's been a pleasure again. Look forward to doing it uh, next week and also a special edition on Boxing Day as well. Oh, sounds good. See you next yeah. week, Simone, Dan. Yeah, and Dan, I'll see you in about 30 seconds. We'll talk soon for Saturday race day morning as we leave Cracking the Codes this Saturday morning. Cranbourne Cup, one of the most popular from, uh, from Paleface Adios in 1980 to I'm the Mighty Quinn in 2010. On the final bend, it's Mel Park Major. Spoken up, three wide Bondi, four wide Villa Gem. I'm the Mighty Quinn. Back to the Gary Rogers supercar sprint lane. Mel Park Major led. I'm the Mighty Quinn's after him, though. And the West Australian stormed to the lead. Down the outside was Villa Gem. But I'm the Mighty Quinn is racing away. I'm the Mighty Quinn wins brilliantly.